0: There you are. Good morning, Sunshine. Hi there. How are you? Good ya? morning. Very good. How are you? I'm super. Yeah. I'm excited about this. So give, New Year. yeah, right. 2021, bring it, right? <laughs> no kidding. Anything over 2020. My goodness. What does it look like for you? I'm, I'm curious. Give me your like your two cent background story here. What I do for my day job is I teach people
1: how to create freedom by understanding how to manage and flow their money. So it's very practical. Many entrepreneurs are really good at making money and a lot of people teach how to create profit in business, but they don't teach people what to do with their money after that. And so I take over after that. I mean, I've owned many businesses. I'm also by night I'm an investor, so I'm very like my two businesses would be my public business where I help people do what I do, which is build net worth outside of your business on your balance sheet. So I teach it, but I teach money in a way that's very fun and approachable and easy so that we can get over this big daunting thing called money and wealth that we want to pretend to understand, but most people really don't because it's never taught in school.
0: Did you recently come out with a book? I've had a book. I
1: really pivoted out of the real estate industry. I was a big real estate broker, I was known nationally as a disruptor and a technologist. And so I had a lot of fame in the real estate industry, especially after the big 2008 crash and just coming out of that and built a a really well known real estate brokerage. And but while I built that real estate brokerage, I was also working to build net worth. And so I became very interested in really replacing my working income with passive income from assets. That's what I did personally. But then in 2013, I got really sick, and on my deathbed, I really fought for my life for almost two years. And the big awareness that came out of that is that my entire life from an entrepreneur and, and successful business owner, really from a young age, doing everything I was taught by all the gurus on how to build a great business and how to build profit and, you know, business, 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 entrepreneurship, 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 I was a really good student such a good student that doing all, everything that was ever taught to me in that way nearly killed me. And that wherever I got, I was always in the quest for more. And every message I got was more is better. So no matter where I was at the end of any year, that wasn't enough. And I had to go bigger all the time. And it just became a lifestyle that nearly took me down. So what I learned on my deathbed was that my body is my number one asset in financial terms, And it really needs to be my most important investment from financial and time and spiritual reasons. And so that caused me to completely pivot out of that old lifestyle with the new awarenesses I learned. And I realized I wanted to teach money differently. I want to teach business differently. And that's where I wrote my book that's called Falling for Money that came out of
0: that experience. Okay. So as the listeners are hearing that, they want to know that story. Can you take us down to that personal journey where you were Experiencing that setback, Christina, you know, just what you were going through, because other people are listening to that and relating to that. Can you give us some some more in-depth story into the backside there?
1: I mean, the big takeaway is that all the messaging that we get as entrepreneurs and business owners, as well as just in general, is that you're never good enough. There's always somebody doing more. More is better. So it just creates this life of chase this life of not good enough, the life of arriving wherever you are after some success with this belief that, well, that's not good enough. I need to do something more than that. And what it does, it just means that we're never really present or fulfilled. We're just always looking for the future of more and buying into that message is I need to buy more. I need to do more. I need to be more in order to have some type of external validation that that I'm enough. And like I said, in my case, I just, I, it it nearly took me out. And, but my, one my, the big lesson is that we hear this all the time that, you know, on your deathbed, you'll never care about that extra sale that you did. And we're like, yeah, yeah. But it's true. Like when you really face death, I mean, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I had had a lot of success. I mean, I was a national icon in my industry, like no joke. And I was at the height of my career when I went down. And one day I was fine. And the next day I was out for the count for almost two years. But when I was going through that experience, I kid you not, I gave one rip about my business. I gave one rip about my Range Rover and my lake house and my accolades and my awards and all my trophies, both, you know, bought trophies, you know, like the emblems on everything that I owned. And I was even good with my money. I wasn't financed, like I owned this stuff, but my entire identity was based on external validation that kept me in that churn. So that's what I realized is like, oh no, we're doing this all backwards. We shouldn't be focused on business. And the money's not the focus, it's what is a good life? And if I had all the money in the world, exactly whatever that number is, and I call that your good enough number, what would I be doing with my day and design from there? And then we reverse engineer to how much money is enough and how big our business needs to be. Because that number is different for everyone. And when we can live our life around a number that's like, life is really good at this number. It just keeps us grounded and paying attention to more about what is important. Business is not important. Business in a way, it's just what we do. It's a part of ourselves is what we do to build this thing called profit, but what is profit from a business? it's all about profit, 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 like that's the end goal. Right. No, the profit is just the beginning, basically. What do we do with that profit that pays for the cost of our lifestyle that needs to be a number that allows us to live a happy life. But most, a lot of people, we, there's like these two kind of camps is there's one camp that never have enough money and so they're always in the churn of trying to make enough money as business owners and entrepreneurs or small business. Even they, And many of those have high top lines because the entire business and marketing message, I mean, I know you don't do this. You talk a lot about profit, but all the marketing hype out there is like how to become a millionaire, let's say. I mean, I'm looking at all these clubhouse things, like how to become a millionaire, how to become a millionaire. And I'll jump into these clubhouse conversations just to listen in. And they're all talking about a million, a million dollar top line Revenue in your business. I'm like, that's not a millionaire. That's just top line revenue. By the time you break it all down, if you have a 20% profit margin before taxes, that's only $200,000. After taxes, it's $150,000, and that's the number. And that needs to be divvied up between lifestyle today and putting money aside for tomorrow. So that that what they're claiming to be a millionaire is so far from a millionaire. A millionaire is a million dollars on your balance sheet, not including your business or your household.
0: Right. Wholly
1: different different conversation.
0: Yeah. And so you're really describing a a very clear disconnect there. And and I like it. So there's, there's two points in what you mentioned. You know, what I find with high achievers, high performers, they're never quite satisfied. Right. How are you relating to that? I mean, because that's kind of that, you know, you're all in, it's always focused, doing more, being more, but there's not a level of satisfaction in there. Have you, Christine, have you come to a place where you say you are satisfied? And how have you accepted that? And and what advice do you have for others?
1: Yeah, that's such a a philosophical question as well as a very practical and pragmatic question. But I think from my own experience, and again, as a high achiever, like we're just built a a certain way. So the check, you know, some people need to be really motivated. They need the fire under their ass and they need a lot of accountability and coaching and stuff because they just don't have that, that thing that causes them to jump out of bed. So, you know- then on the other hand, there's those that are just naturally high performers, high achievers, that so we need a different type of accountability. We need the type of accountability that says, slow down, be present, feel satisfied in the moment. So that doesn't mean, it means if we're never satisfied, that's living in this, this subconscious belief that when I get there, some point in the future that it has some narrative attached to it. When I'm married or when I have a million dollars, when I have $10 million or when I have children or when I get divorced or whatever this story is, when I get there, then I'll be satisfied. And that's the big lie. Because if we can't be satisfied today, we will never be satisfied. So that satisfaction's in the moment of gratitude and whoa, look, and even the contrast of how far we've come from some starting place. But it's this, it's being able to hold paradoxes, being able to hold both at the same time, which is, I think where kind of adulthood and consciousness shows up, means I am completely 100% satisfied and so grateful because I've hit my numbers. I've hit my good life numbers. My passive income from my assets fully pays for the cost of my lifestyle. Working and doing what I want to do really is a choice at this point. So there's a lot of satisfaction and gratitude And gravitas and pride, you know, healthy pride and that wrapped up. And I'm still at the beginning of my journey and my growth. Right. And I don't know what's next, but I'm not chasing the next thing. Right. right? I'm expanding and growing into as I grow, my my world and environment expands around me, around me. And as I expand and grow my environment, I kind of grow into that. But it's the it's the duality of being completely satisfied and grateful. And, and like I said, being proud of what we accomplished Well, being open-minded and curious, like, all right, let's see what else is in, but more of a curiosity versus a chase. A curiosity is like, what else do I have in me? Let's see what, you know, what, well, what might be fun for this th- next chapter.
0: Right. And this is the thing that, you know, that I've have really learned by working with people, you know, a lot like yourself is, you know, chasing the goal is actually chasing the feeling that the goal gets us. It's not really the outcome of that Range Rover. It's like, how we feel when we're communicating ourselves in the bougie way of, you know, wanting to drive the Range Rover or be in that circle of influence. You know, how do you respond now, Christina, in, in you know, in that statement is actually, you know, chasing a feeling that the goal gets you rather than the, the financial goal itself?
1: Ooh, I really like that. That I'm like, ooh, I need to think about that. I, I really resonate with it. And again, I think it can go back as long as we can hold the feeling of the present satisfaction while moving into a future feeling and pulling that forward. I was on a podcast. I actually interviewed somebody on a podcast. I have a podcast. I interviewed her on Friday and she was telling me this like old proverb that I thought I'm going to butcher it, but let's see if I can make the point. But it was something like, uh, you know, where we think our future is ahead of us. This proverb said, our future is behind us. So when it's behind us, it propels us forward. So when we can start chasing a future, but we really like, no, my future is almost already happened. I'm just pulling it forward. Now I'm moving and growing and manifesting into this feeling of the future, like you're saying, I want to create, but it's almost like it's already happened, but that keeps us out of the chase. If we can really kind of move into that type of energy. And then the, the our past is in front of us. And it's, it's looking to our past in front of us as a way that we can clear that up so that it just is no longer an obstacle in our way. right? You know, so I really loved kind of the reverse order of that. But to answer your question is that the feelings are great. To me, it's just to make sure that an example that I give in some of my classes, my money classes, is there's, you know, it's, it's about not chasing the gold watch. But if, the, if you... Let's say are a watch lover and you love the mechanics of the watch. And I mean, I have lots of male friends who just love watches because all you know, just the how they're built and the mechanics and just the engineering and the aesthetic beauty of it. So if the watch, for example, is something that wow, I love watches and and For me to be able to to buy that watch is something that I can hold as my own personal accomplishment. It's something that I value and love because it makes me feel good. As long as it's not the Rolex because we need the external validation that somebody else's outward approval. So we wear the Rolex watch to try to be good enough. So it's the difference. Like At the end of the day, it's the same watch, but it's the intention of going in. Is Is it for self? And that personal, you know, satisfaction and feeling of like, whoa, because there's been a lot of things in my life, for example, where I started, I'm thinking I never in a million years thought I would be able to buy or have certain things that I have. But it's been able to reflect on that, like, whoa, you know, this is pretty amazing. What this girl has accomplished has come from nothing that if nobody else knew, it doesn't matter when I owed it, because this is between me and myself as far as that ability to be aware of those accomplishments. So. I think at the end of the day, when we get out of the chase and we just bring the future to the present and we can be satisfied in the present and we can feel a future that we desire, that we want to grow into, then everything is in the present. We're not future
0: chasing. Right. Right. And I think too, with the pandemic, I mean, I think that's changed a lot of things. I think it has, like the universe has told us to slow down in its own unique way. I think it's it's the biggest sign that you know we can still have achievement and attainment, we can still have the finance, but but what we're being asked is to slow down, you know, and and to to kind of go at a more of a glacier speed instead of a like, you know, right out of the gates um, Kentucky Derby type speed. So what are you witnessing there and, and how do you relate to that, Christina?
1: Yeah. Like well said again, is that that's something else I say a lot that kind of the, there's this underlying pressure to go faster all the time. And like, there's some, like there's some finish line that if we cross it sooner than later, we get, you know, the gold medal and there is no gold medal. There is no finish line. This is a life journey, like spread it out, be in the moment and create futures. But yeah, again, but the more that we're just that chasing the future and not in the present. And we think if we get there faster, it's going to solve all of our, all of our problems. So I think this has been a big wake up call to slow down. And I know for me, like my, my health crisis, I mean, I was, I went from, you know, like hundred miles or a thousand miles an hour, however, you know, as fast as one can go. That was my velocity, like one speed (laughs) fast to being able to not do not get out of bed. So it wasn't then it wasn't even a matter of slowing down. Like if I looked at time, I had all the time in the world, so to speak, like being removed from my life. So it wasn't even about slowing down so much. It was about being present and aware and conscious of the, of the present moment and to just really, uh, connect with and be okay with the present as opposed to constantly living and preparing and building the future. So I think it's slowing down, why? What do we do with the slowdown? With the slowdown, we can put on more Netflix or we can do more meditation. We can actually connect more person to person, since we're not squeezed between maybe so many appointments. And now where I used to do 30 minute coffee meetings, cause I was trying to squeeze in as many coffee meetings as possible. My coffee's now virtual or not virtual, are two hour coffees. So I'm spreading out to be more present, to have more connection to to, to have more feeling, to use your word in the moment, as opposed to stacking productivity and getting back into that machine state.
0: Right. So I think the audience that's listening to this, the biggest message that they're getting from you, Christine, is just the permission, right? The permission to slow down, the permission to reorganize, not necessarily redo or restructure, but just kind of reorganize your approach. And you're going to achieve that same outcome. You will be a, a high performer. You will have that attainment, but there's just some, some permission here, I think, is, is more than anything Because you're telling people who have their foot on the gas, thinking that that's what they need to do, that actually that's not the answer. That's not the answer. So tell us though, with your background, you know, you teach high income entrepreneurs how to convert business income into personal net worth and passive income, and you are the host of the Wealthy Wealthy podcast. So tell us a little bit about like what is your unique approach?
1: Yeah, I'd say the fifty thousand foot view is the way I teach money, and is is a different mindset. Is that one, money is a life skill. It's an acquired skill. Skill means it's learned. We don't come out of the womb understanding money. Now, what's, what's not obvious about money is we can make it and we can spend it. And it seems like we've got it all handled, but it's not obvious. It's something that it's, and it's not taught in school. So what I, what I work to do is to teach like the principles of money that are timeless, but these principles have to be followed. Otherwise we will self-sabotage and find ourselves. And I call that hamster wheel for high income earners. I, the high income entrepreneurs is they're always working, like no matter where they get or how much money they make at the end of the month, that feeling is like, holy shit, I need to go do it again. Oh my God, I need to do it again when you're young. And that's, that's fine. But it becomes a time when you're just tired and burn out. And that next day, like you want a day where like, I just don't want to have to show up today and like perform at this level it does catch up with us over time. And usually we even have some health conditions and different things you know, that might pop in. So the, the idea is, is to think of money as flow. It's not about a achievement t- or achievement, or um, uh, it's, it's about flow and how we flow our money. So our business, what is our business? Where everybody focuses as business as money. I just look at our business as a source of money. It's the source, and for those of us that are lucky enough to be successful business owners and entrepreneurs, for me, for many, not all, some people, some business owners buy a franchise. It's not their life purpose or mission, but they own a franchise and or franchises. Like one of my good friends owns many franchises, and he, he's just a really good business owner, and he makes a really nice profit as you know, accumulatively from all of his businesses. Is a franchise, but it's not his life mission to be. His purpose in life to be a franchise owner, but he's one damn good business person, right? And that's consistent. Some of us as business owners and entrepreneurs, like myself included, who I am is my business and my work and my purpose, but I'm not my business and work either. I'm separate. I am a business owner. I just happen to actually work in my business and it's very fulfilling. But what's most fulfilling is turning that into profit. I know you get that. You teach a lot on that. But the whole point is that business is a source of income. And business, when we just understand the very basics of the financial statement, the top line's revenue, we minus our cost to sales and our expenses to have profit. And a lot of businesses have high top lines, but they don't have a lot of profit. And they don't know their profit margin because you work really hard. And if you're working really hard for a 10% profit margin or less, like, is it worth it? That's a lot of risk. So you need to know your profit margin and end of the day, you need to know your profit, but that's just the source of the income. So now what do we do with the profit we make from our business? Well, now we move it to household and now it's household finance. How you make income is in your business. How you build wealth and get rich is in your household. But nobody tells us that household finance that very few people work to get good acts. We're all spent 99% of the time in our business and what we need to learn next in our business. What's not obvious is if you want to have wealth and riches and passive income, it doesn't happen in your business. Yet nobody tells you that. So we spent our whole life there. So now when we move, let's say if it's a quarter million dollars from our business pre-tax, and we move it to our household, that's a whole different business that we're looking we're, We want to build profit in our household. And profit is our investment dollars, our, our, in, like how we build wealth. They can only be created over time and compounding intentionally. So that's what we do is profit first. I'm a big profit first person in business and personal. But are you, when you start running your household like a business with profit first, right off the top, you're taking your 15 to 20% and sweeping it out because that's your future self-income. And then I teach something called the 20 to 20, which is exactly how to spend your money because cash you need liquidity. You need, you need money to spend on your household. You need to have you pay your taxes. And there's these different categories of money that all need to be taken care of. But intentionally, methodically, we need to know our numbers go through. We need an intimate relationship with our money. We want to spend time with it and flow it. Remember, it's all about flow. So that's how we flow our money. And then So that's in our household. And our third business, if you will, we have our business business, our household is a business for profit, our business business for bottom line profit, our household business is top line profit. And now our third business is building a balance sheet, again, intentionally. And this this is the most important business of all of our businesses, in essence, because this is our wealth, this is our legacy, this is our future passive income and it's and when we think of it a business we're looking at how do we grow the profitability of our net worth so that as you know all the the interest that comes off that if we reinvest or whatever we do with it that's the bubble that grows over time with the idea that we want to build an asset valuation that throws off enough dividends or cash flow there's that word cash flow again that ultimately financial freedom is when the money from our assets Covers the cost of living our good life in our household so that we have the choice as to whether we show up in our business or not. Because there comes a day, as much as we love our business, where we don't want to show up that day. And the only way that's possible is if one, you have the ability to sell your business to cash out, which very few people set up their businesses that way in the first place. So if it's a cash flow business, the only way to ever have that opportunity is to have assets outside of your household and outside of your business that covers the cost of paying your bills. And that's the financial freedom game. And when we reverse engineer that, and we just know all these numbers, the kind of final takeaway here is you have to know all your numbers. What is your net worth number? What is your good life household number? And ultimately, how much profit do you have to generate out of your business to be able to make sure that you can hit those numbers moving forward? And if you go up from there, that'll tell you how much revenue you have to make from your business based on what type of profit margin you have. Now it's not like, When people say, hey, what amount of revenue do you want to do in your business this year? Like, I don't know, $5 million revenue. It's like, where the F did that number come from? People just pull these things from the sky. And it's not intentional. But once we reverse engineer, we know these numbers. We are completely in control of our money, of our life, of our business. We're outside of that external gratification. And we're just showing up every day, becoming our best selves, being present, doing good work, and learning our lessons and really connecting. And realizing that again, there's
0: there's no race, there's no finish line. This is this is our life's work and our life's journey. So, how do you help people connect? You know, and kind of have that reverse engineering where they're looking more at building that balance sheet instead of like setting the numbers. So, like really with the intention, like you said, much more intentionality of building the balance sheet versus like the five million dollar number. What is your guided direction to help people understand that so they can start in the right way to start thinking about it?
1: Yeah. So, very simple. Like, these are just really basic rules of thumb. Granted, if we work together, we'd get very specific, but as a guide, the first thing you need to do is calculate how much it costs to live your life
0: today. And how many people don't do that, right? I mean, that's, we just go through the motions. We don't even have an idea a lot of the time. Yeah. Exactly. So for your good
1: life, let's just look at 2020. How much did it cost me to live my life in 2020? In 2021, did was that satisfactory? If it cost me the same amount to live exactly the way I did, would that be enough? And let's just say the answer is yes. You have to know how much it costs to live your life. And you know, don't have time to go into it. Each time you add more debt to your life, you increase the cost of your lifestyle. And what one of those objectives is, is to have no debt because debt just makes your life very expensive and keeps you in that trap of having to make money just to pay the banks as opposed to living life well. But anyway, how much does it cost to live your life? And really assuming you had no debt, like you weren't overbuying with any type of debt. But how much does it cost to live your life? All right, that's one. Let's just keep the numbers, the math easy. Let's say it's $100,000, which believe it or not, if you have zero debt and everything's paid off, you can actually do okay, depending on what part of the world you are, 100,000. So now that's how much it costs to live my life. Multiply that by 20. So that's $2 million. So what that means is that just again, very basic rudimentary rule of thumb numbers. That means you need a net worth of $2 million on your balance sheet that will throw off by pulling out 5% that will throw off around $100,000 a year. That means you don't really touch that principal. It's two million. That that covers your hundred thousand dollars. So really, for every million, it's fifty thousand. So you can, can build your own numbers. So now you have your, your number. So that's called your gap. Let's say you have a zero dollars net worth, starting today on that. So that means that's your gap. Now what you need to do is say, okay, what's my time frame or my horizon of time that I want to build towards that two million dollars? So let's just use the number that says, hey, I want to do 20 years. I'm 40 and I want to be done at 60. And then it's like, okay, I have 20 years. So now we can put these numbers into a very simple compounding calculator. And if you were to do, if you save $2,800 a month for 20 years and invest that, let's say if you can get a 10%, again, just to keep the math easy, that's $2 million. So what that means, if we reverse engineer all, all the way back, that means if, we're, if our cost of our, high, if our lifestyle is $100,000, let's say after tax, what we need to add on to that is our tax percentage, what's getting taken off the top, plus that extra $2,800 a month or whatever that is per year. Now that can be our profit number. That means we can't earn less than that profit number if we're going to be able to live our lifestyle and take care of that $2,800. But here's the thing, that $2,800 a month, you don't miss a payment. That comes up first and it still takes 20 years because that compounding at a pretty decent double digit return, which is what I teach and what we're usually look for. But now we can know what profitability we need and what kind of revenue that we need. But again, it's all reverse engineered over that gap number. But that's just the thing is what we're not, what most people do is, and it doesn't include your, re- your personal residence because you can't live off the cash flow in your personal residence. You know, you're going to, whatever your personal residence is, you're going to always need to find a place to live. So, and it doesn't include your business unless you have a real asset value that you can add to your balance sheet and your net worth. But most very few businesses sell, and very fewer than that actually sell anything close to what people need to quote unquote hit their freedom number, their retirement numbers. So, those are some good rules of thumb. But then you reverse engineer back, you know your ratios, you're managing all of your money to hit these certain numbers, you're living off everything else. And once you know these numbers, you just feel so in control, and this money's not this elusive, nebulous. You know, scary thing because you've got you've got it all mapped out.
0: Yeah. No, I think and and it's brilliant. And I think this is a conversation so many people need to listen to because they don't. They go through it blindly. They don't understand. You know, you've really dug kind of deep in a very um, top line way for all of us to to relate to. But just understanding that there's so much more that goes into, like you said, I'm going to be a million dollar earner. You know that's like a hundred thousand dollar return, and there's a big variance in there that you really have to kind of cut through, and all of the different directions that that money actually goes towards. So it's very, very monumental. Okay, so as we're coming into the close of the episode, you wrote the book um, "Falling for Money," right? Who did you write the book for?
1: Yeah, I, I funny funny story. I just I wrote the book to that really shared this whole that came off out of my illness. And I wanted to share with the world what I'd been doing because bottom line to kind of circle back where we started is that I made all this money and was really good at money on the net worth side. And then I had to spend all my money. You know, I took, I used my health to build my wealth and I had to use my wealth to get my health back over a couple of years. But so this is really the story of these lessons learned between, but what saved my life at the end of the day was the fact that I had wealth, that I had money. I had liquidity and I had other assets that I could sell ultimately that I got to cash in to pay for all the medical treatments that were required to save me because most of what it took, it wasn't covered by insurance. So, I mean, it was lots of zeros at the end of the day for me to be here. So that, so who I wrote that for was anybody that just wanted that was kind of in the same place of just was in the wealth and money game. And that was crashing or felt like if things didn't change soon, they're going to crash and burn and saying, let me save you from the crash and burn because it's really ugly. And here's all the lessons I've learned so that you have the money to be able to take care of self and know
0: what to do with it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Okay. So we are coming to the end. Where can we find you? Christina Weiss, like where, where can we locate you? What's your social media and how can we add you to our circle of influence?
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, I mean, I'm at Christina Wise pretty much on everything and that's a K and two S's, but I have a, my, my book that's a free digital copy as well as a webinar where I teach my 2080 20, 20, like how to do household finance in a way that allows you to build wealth. So it's really just kind of that, that easy map and at Christina.com. So it's just a way to go in and get a few freebies. And then I have a template, like how to fill in your, your, some of the numbers we we're just talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's a
0: K and two S's as well. That's just absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much again for being on this episode. This is so enlightening. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. So to learn more about Christina Weiss, you can also visit our website at marlohiggins.com where you can connect to her resources, purchase her book and learn more. So thank you for joining us today. So we are going to invite you to share this podcast with others and thank you in advance for your partnership. This is Marlo Higgins, your chief inspirational officer. Have an awesome rest of your day.